This is Joe Burns. And Chad P. Hey, thanks for listening to the Rock School Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live Thursdays at 5. And Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School radio show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. It's time for school. Rock School with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Well, he also says that they're in the face That's of true. a hurricane west wind. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't think there are hurricanes over the Great Lakes. And Chad P. Facts are facts, interpretations are interpretations, and you can't change the facts. They went to Detroit, not Cleveland. Shut up. The <laughs> class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show from the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University. And once again, we are inside of our lecture series, four shows in a row. If you were listening last week, we did protest songs, history this week, religion and science arts come. My name is Joe Burns, a professor in the communication department, and we are in an alphabet soup of letters following names. Let's introduce each other. Who is to my immediate right? Bill Robison, Department of History and Political Science. That's what I was looking for. To my left? I'm Dan McCarthy from the College of Science Technology. <clears throat> and Chad. Chad. I'm here, too. Chad's over there. Hello. Where, where are you from? The Department of what? The Natural Resources. Good for you. <laughs> right. And uh, we have with us a tutor historian today. Uh, that's Bill over here from the uh, Department of History. What like I know what a tutor home is. What's a tutor historian? Well, a tutor historian is somebody who wishes he could afford a tutor home, but yes. uh, who studies uh, <laughs> the tutors: Henry the Seventh, Henry the Eighth, uh, Edward the Sixth, Mary and Elizabeth, fourteen eighty-five to sixteen o three. An action-packed century, as it were. I can imagine people were just losing their heads and Absolutely. dying to be part of it. Absolutely. Now we're going to play a song that's from that era. But let me ask you a quick question. I took, when I was in college, you know, a bit of history, and, and that era came up. The numbers don't seem to go straight. It's, it's not like it was Henry the 6th, 5th, 4th, 3, 9, 4, 7. Why aren't they all in order? Why, why is it the numbers seem to be jumbled up? People are capricious. Uh, the, number, <laughs> the numbers start over test. in uh, 1066 with the Norman Conquest, and each time you have a new name, you know, it's William the First or Henry the First or Edward the First. But uh, when they reintroduce names like that, then you add the number. So Henry the Eighth is the eighth Henry, Edward the Sixth is the sixth. Edward, Mary is the first, so Elizabeth I could, is the first. I could find an eighth and a seventh and a sixth and a fifth. I could take Absolutely. Henry all the way back. Absolutely. They're just not in order. No. Okay. But aren't there two parts to Henry the Fourth? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there, yes, there are. Uh, yes, there are. Sorry. Thank you very much, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen. With a great deal of false stuff. Yes, you know. exactly right. <laughs> Fantastic. And yeah, this isn't confusing at all. <laughs> Methinks thou dost protest too much. What are we playing to represent Henry VIII, uh, my Tudor historian friend? Okay, we're playing I'm Henry VIII, I Am. Yes, um, we are. It's uh, a song that is most familiarly associated with Herman's Hermits, uh, a group created in 1965 to be sort of a clean-cut alternative to the Beatles and the Stones and what have you. 
have you. Uh, it was at the time it was released the fastest selling single ever released, although it's been surpassed it since was? then. Wow. That's right. But it's actually an old British music hall song written in 1910 by Fred Murray and Robert Patrick Weston and recorded by the Cockney comedian Harry Champion. Um, in 1934, Weston also wrote with her head tucked underneath her arm about Anne Boleyn. Who died in which way? Having her head cut off by Henry VIII in 1936. Um, the the name Henry is usually pronounced Henry uh, in, in reference to uh, Cockney slang here. And the, the name Willie, which shows up in the name, in the verse, uh, or the line, rather, Willie or a Sam. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. Exactly. Had, had to be deleted for they, a number of decades they, because it was considered yeah, too it, risque. Isn't it, isn't it a dirty word over It's a there? dirty yeah. word. It's a euphemism for a certain male organ. Uh, the song was also re-recorded by Alvin and the Chipmunks in 1965, Ugh. but we'll spare you that today. Anyway, the interesting thing about this song is that despite the clean-cut image of the band is that it, uh, with the Cockney accent, it sounds almost punk, and it's got a good guitar solo in it. Not bad. So, pretend you're in a pub, you order a beer, it's not quite as cold as you like. It's uh, it's served in a rather tall glass, but as Dan said, what? That's because it has flavor. It actually has flavor. <laughs> it's <laughs> not quite a bug. So sit back and enjoy. It's Herman's Hermits. I'm Andrew the Eighth. I am Rock School. This is Rock Schools. We talk about history on our lecture series. Hey, let me ask you a question about the current royal family. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, question number two. A, is Queen Elizabeth ever going to die? But question number one, when Charles does take the throne, will he be Charles the what have you, or does he get to take any name he wishes. Well, theoretically, he could use any of his names, but he's already indicated he'll use Charles, so he'll be the, Charles the Third. What are the names does he have? Oh, he's got a whole oh. string of them. Yeah. Uh, what? This, this is fairly typical to, to yeah. give uh, royalty five or six names. Such that's, as? that's why, for example, in uh, the the early 19th century, the brother of Louis XVI takes the throne as Louis XVIII, because Louis is part of every French royal boy's name. Uh, so he technically time. could be Louis. Uh, no, Louis's not one of his names, uh, but uh, Arthur's in there. I don't think he'll use that one. That'd be a good uh, one. It, it would. Who but wouldn't want to be King Arthur? It's problematic. That the would last, be neat. The last guy destined to be King Arthur was the son of Henry the Seventh, who died, thereby paving the way for Henry the Eighth. Um, so. You see, bad mojo. See, you can't see Charles walking out and the Lady of the Lake handing him the sword? Oh, thank you. No. 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 <laughs> Sorry. No. You, you, you know, damp tarts are no basis for yeah. <laughs> I now have a question about another song. I have been to Istanbul. I loved it. In fact, it was one of the best uh, best vacations I had ever taken. Uh, three weeks in uh, not just Istanbul, but uh, going around Turkey. Thought it was wonderful. Why was Constantinople changed to Istanbul? And I'm basically tipping the hat to what song we're going to play. Okay. Go ahead, historian. Why? Well, <clears throat> actually, it started out as Byzantium. And Constantine, I knew uh, that. The, the man who uh, legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire, uh, moved from Rome to Byzantium and renamed it Constantinople in modest uh 
you know, reappellation after himself. And uh, thus it was until the Turks took over in 1453. Uh, the Ottoman Turks conquered uh, Constantinople. Didn't bother to change the name for a while. Uh, they actually didn't officially change it till 1930. But, but Istanbul is the Turkish name for Constantinople, hence uh, the new name. So it's nothing more than a translation? Yep. That's it? That's it. I expected something more grand than that. It's, they might be giants. How deep did you expect it to get? <laughs> well, oh, they're the, deep. The end. conquest was pretty, pretty grand. <laughs> I expected from the Turkish so much point of more. View. At least the African countries went and changed from you know Rhodesia, which is named after some Lord Rhodes, to right? you know, Zimbabwe, which is a good African name. But yeah, yeah, you're right. This is a lame. Just a... I, I really expected something more than <laughs> yeah. that. Really wish I hadn't called for that song. So but there you go. It's they might be giants. Oh, by the way, Istanbul. If I'm not mistaken, the only capital that's on both sides of a river? That, well, Am I both, right about both, that? both sides of the Turkish Straits. That's right. See, uh, I remember well, something. Now, yeah. now, it, since, since you're disappointed in that, you might be interested <laughs> to know that in the, the, the verse that uh, references New York formerly being New Amsterdam, yeah. that's the result of the Second Dutch War when the English defeated the Dutch and they took New Amsterdam and named it after the Duke of York, who, by the way, was the younger brother of Charles II. The there last English wow. to be Charles. So it all ties together. All right. There'll be a quiz, by the way, after this. So if you don't want to be part of the quiz, you're going to want to get out of the room. Does it count for our grade? It, no. Then I'm failing. They might be giants. Try to follow along. Goes like this. Rack school. Hey, Chad, i got to ask you a question coming out. I know I'm, I'm picking the brain of our tutor historian over me? here, Bill. Yeah, i got to ask me? you a question. Um, i got nothing. How'd you do in, in history in high school and college? You I did, did well. Did you? I did. I did terribly. Did you? I really did, because I, I just couldn't keep the facts and all of those things straight. And it, it was one of those where, while I was listening to it, 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 didn't, it didn't follow. It, there's an old statement that that education is wasted on the young. Uh-huh. When I was 16, 17, couldn't have cared less. When I was 19, 20, couldn't have cared less. Now that I'm in my 40s, I read history books. I care about it now. You're too late now, bro. I know. It seems to. It, it seems like. Now I seem to care about it. Do you find that with your students, or do you have that core group that it really matters to them? Because now I want to learn these things. Well, we've got the core group. I mean, the history majors, just sort of by definition, are, are that way. They've probably been reading history since they can read, right. even if they don't know they were reading history, per se. Uh, they've been reading history books you know, about famous people and wars and what have you. Um, but I do find that a lot of people develop more of an appreciation for it as they get older. I did. Now I see uh, it as the as the greatest story around. I mean, when I was younger, I, Rocky, First Blood, I mean, those were the stories that kept me. Remember, I'm a child of the 80s, 70s and 80s. <laughs> but those were the things that kept me interested. Now I'm reading history, and I'm like, these are better stories than anything Hollywood was putting out. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know why they didn't hold my attention. Well, you have to chalk it up to superior teaching. I think see, that's the department here at Southeastern, <laughs> all of the faculty, they put it in the form of some type of action-packed story, and well, that's, that's, that's what it what, was. That's what piqued my interest. Maybe it's just the way it was. Maybe it's just the way it was, uh, you know, given to me. Well, where did you go to high school? <laughs> PS one thirty-three Cleveland. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of Cleveland. The next song, Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, oh, I know that one. was sort of a heroic song to we Clevelanders because they left 
some place in Wisconsin, and they came fully loaded for Cleveland. Tell me about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Actually, they didn't. What do you mean? They, they where they come from? They, they they were coming from Wisconsin, right? but they were actually going <laughs> oh, to <God>. Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life, I knew they were coming to my hometown of Cleveland. Or Cleveland. I, 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 I hate to do this to you on the day when LeBron James is about to win uh, the championship oh, in Miami, wow. but uh, thanks for bringing him yet, up. Too. Can you turn around? At least the I'll Indians are looking out. good. Yeah, can uh, you check? Is the knife in my bag? <laughs> it's in there. It's now good. tell me about it. Is is that the only thing that's wrong with the song? They weren't coming to Cleveland. They were going to where? Detroit. What you said? Uh, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he takes a certain amount of artistic license with it. Uh, the stuff about knows the, how it's sung. Right. Exactly. Right. And the whole business with the cook coming on deck and all of that—that's that's strictly artistic license. But uh, apparently, he was trying to write it straight. And, and got writer's block, and somebody told him, just just make it up. It's a song. It's not a it's not a history essay, and oh. that's how it, that's how it switched from Detroit to Cleveland. <laughs> I'm, I'm so I'm so very sorry. Now watch watch this, Chad. This is really gonna be bad on my part. Okay, go ahead. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I read. Oh come on! <laughs> but a lot of these songs are not factually to the. I mean, that, I don't think that's the point of the song is to tell you the facts that happen. It's to maybe just to make you aware of an event that happened and let you draw some conclusions. Well, from there. Yeah, that's it's it. just, I mean, look at it that perspective, Jeff. Well, he also says that they're in the face it's of true. a hurricane westwind. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't think there are hurricanes over the Great Lakes. <laughs> Not quite. We all, we all let that one go as well. In November. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, I heard that Kiss were originally going to call their song Cleveland Rock City, but uh, they changed it. That's okay. We have the song Cleveland Rock. And it's a great song. That one. It's a really good song. Let's just play it. Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Corden, Liar, Lightfoot. <laughs> <laughs> the legend lives on from the Chippewa on down. Alright, first break here on Rock School coming out of the song that I will never see the same way again. <laughs> we have two people in the studio with us, Bill Robison and uh, Dan McCarthy, uh, both PhDs, both here to help us out with our lecture series. One thing that bothers me is when people come into the radio show with only a purpose of pitching something other than the radio show. So, Bill, tell us about a book that you have a uh, <laughs> you have a chapter in. I do, too, but I just want to, you know, since it's a, a history. Well, book, of course, I, I had utter no intention of talking about this book. It's only because Joe brought it up that I'll even mention it, but I don't want to leave him hanging here. So for those of you who are are interested in songs about history, uh, you might want to check out the book coming out called Do You Believe in Rock and Roll? Essays on the Historical and Cultural Significance of Don McLean's American Pie, uh, edited by Ray Shuck and Ray Shuck, father and son, forthcoming from McFarland later this year. And featuring Joe Burns' essay, A Long, Long Time Ago, An Interpretation of the Lyrics of Don McLean's American Pie, and my essay, Eight and a Half Minutes is a Long, Long Time, The Musicultural and Musicological Context.
context of Don McLean's American Pie. You guys got to get some shorter titles. Well, I it, mean, my goodness. It's a long, a, a long once song. Once you get a PhD. Well, I realize. Once you get a PhD, there's no such thing as writing a title that doesn't have a colon in it. Oh, don't, don't start. You, don't, have don't, to, you have to do a little title, up, then a colon, up and then a secondary on title me. in it. That's not how physicists do it. <laughs> At least ours are in English. You should read some of Dan's titles. I don't even know what those words mean. But really, if you haven't if you haven't heard, uh, we on Rock School, at least my thought process, tore, process tore down the entire song of American Pie, and I said what I thought it meant. And of course, I think I'm right mm-hmm. until I got contacted by uh, Ray Shuck, the the son Ray Shuck, and said. Why don't you put this to paper? And I put it to paper, and I thought, well, now that I've spoken, there's absolutely no more discussion. I'm correct. Until 12 other people decided to say what they thought the lyrics were all about, and which is, you know, in terms of history, how do how does anybody know what's right? Do do we know what's right? During Tudor time, do we know that that's what happened with Henry VIII? Do we know that what you're telling us about these songs is correct? I mean, well, there's facts and there's interpretation. We know where does that, one end? Where does one begin? We know that Henry became king in 1509. We know that he was married six times. That's we right. we know that he died in 1547. We know that he cut off Anne Boleyn's head in 1536. But uh, you look at something like the English Reformation, and there are an abundance of interpretations of what that means. Why he broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. If you look at interpretations of him as a man, there's an abundance of interpretations of that. So. Uh, you know, you can't change the facts uh, to suit your interpretation, but it's possible to come to more than one conclusion, just as it is with uh, American Pie. Although, frankly, I think you're right. Ah, God bless you. And by the way, yep. if you know those of you who are interested can check out uh, Joe's theory on two wonderful Rock School episodes that I have revisited recently from February 3rd and 10th, 2008, and also his fabulous lecture for the History Department's Fanfare Lecture Series, uh, The Day the Music Died, which is periodically broadcast by the Southeastern Channel. There you go. And where are they going to find that? What's the website once again? KSLU.org. KSLU.org. There's a rock school icon on the right-hand side, and you can get it right there. Uh, To reiterate what Dr. Robinson was saying, facts are facts, interpretations are interpretations, and you can't change the facts. It went to Detroit, not Cleveland. Shut up. Just saying. (laughs) Shut up, you. Who listens to us? KSCL in Shreveport, Louisiana. That's where history was born. It was. It was. Right there. That's That's where they do all the books. Mm-hmm. Also, KLSU on the campus of Louisiana State University. Get us on Facebook or we'll cry. Search Rock School Radio Show and like us. You really like us. Back in a minute. Rock School. All right, coming out of the first break, let's play one from the band. Uh, the night they drove old Dixie down as we talk about history. Contrary to the fact that you've barely heard his voice, he is in the studio. Dan McCarthy, tell us about the uh, the night they drove old Dixie down. Yeah, it would make sense to have the non-historian from Massachusetts talk about this song because, of course, that's really what makes um, sense to me. But, uh, sure. No, again, I'm not uh, pur- uh, purporting to be a any kind of historian, but I just love the music. And this song in particular by Robbie Robertson, it's a stunning song. It's really about what happened after the Civil War, to really not give any historical perspective to it. What amazes me about this song is Robbie Robertson's Canadian. 
And, right. you know, and it's the kind of thing that I've heard these discussions before <laughs> where you have to be that type of, or be either that race or that person to be able to write um, appropriately about it. And he didn't. He nailed this. And um, he did. I once heard someone say that this song does a better job of describing the Civil War than all of Ken Burns stuff did. There's so much in there. It just ties into the the devastation and the uh, just really what happened to it. And so it's a stunning song. LaVon Helm, one of the greatest singers ever. Uh, and he just, uh, just right. left us, does an amazing job singing it. And there's there's so many great singers within the band. There, there are three brilliant lead singers in this one. This uh, does highlight LaVon Helm. Mimi! Go ahead. Question. Do it. Okay, so does the title imply, when they say the night they drove old Dixie down, does that mean like just the, the night that they beat him up and beat him into the ground? Or like what does that title imply? I don't think so, but I think Bill can probably get a little more insight well, on that. Well, it's set in 1865, so it's right at the end of the war. Uh, you know, the Yankees are in Virginia, tearing up railroads. Uh, people are on the verge of starvation. And the, the interesting thing to follow up what Dan was said, here's a song written a, a, by a Canadian about the South, and it is probably the song that more than any other has moved people from the North to an appreciation of what Southerners went through yeah. at the end of the war. It's it's a Canadian song about the South that makes Yankees weep. Go figure. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> and the two things musically about the song that I absolutely love is the drum roll into the into the chorus that uh, that Helm plays and also when he has the people singing you know they were singing they went and then just that na 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 mm-hmm. you can almost see that as sort of a civil war uh, ditty of the of the people singing it you can see the the people watching it go down and this is sort of their 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 i i, I can almost see people in period clothing Singing this, this cool. simplistic melody, singing it afterwards. Sweet. I, it works on so many levels for me, I can't tell you. Yeah, Robbie Robertson does that. He just captures a moment and a culture. He does it in other songs he's written, too. Um, we could do a, probably a show on just the band's Easily. historical type songs. And um, this is just a brilliant one right here. Easily. Here you go. The night they drove Old Dixie down, Helm sings it. This is the band. All right, so. Bottom of the hour, plus about five minutes. We went in real late on this one. Blame the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, I'm going to for the rest of my life. Typical history class, going late. That's yeah, right. Going to. Can we go? Is this going to be on the test? Uh, let's go around once again and give everybody's names to my right. Bill Robinson. You. Chad. And you. Dan McCarthy. There we go. Let's do seven days and 70 seconds before we get back into music. These dates, June 18th through June 24th, and something that happened on each one of those dates. Chad has this Monday. Go. June 18th in the year 2000. It was announced that pirated music CDs accounted for 500 million in sales every year or one in every five CDs sold. On June 19, 1988, over 2,000 East Germans gathered to hear Michael Jackson perform a concert on the Berlin Wall. He's performing in West Berlin, just on the other side of the wall. June 20, 2004, Paul McCartney plays his 3,000th gig. In case you're wondering, 2,535 with the Quarrymen and the Beatles, 140 with Wings, and 325 solo shows to that point. The gig was performed in St. Petersburg, Russia. 
June 21st, 2000, 39-year-old Karen McNeil claimed she was the wife of Axel Rose and had been communicating with him telepathically for more than a year. She made these statements after being jailed for stalking. Everybody can communicate telepathically. It's Axel. June 22nd, 2008, Coldplay goes number one in the UK with Viva La Vida. And it was the first time a single went to number one with no single. The song was available by download only. June 23rd, 2000, uh, the Experience Music Project in Seattle officially opened, costing $225 million. Who has that much money? Of course, was Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, who was trying to prove that he was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Seattle here in about two and a half weeks. To prove that you're really cool. Yeah, the Space Needle and Experience Music Project are the only two places I want to go. June 24th, 2004, the Eric Clapton Stratocaster, formerly known as Blackie, sells at auction for $969,000, the most paid for a single guitar at that time. Oh, dude, you were only 968000 short. I was. If they had just dropped the price almost a million dollars, I could have picked it up. All right, that wraps up 7 Days and 70 Seconds. Let's go into a song by Warren Zevon, Veracruz. It's from Excitable Boy back in 1978. Tell me about that uh, historian, Bill. Okay, Warren Zevon liked to write about history, among other things, and this is about uh, an incident that occurred in 1914 not too long before World War I. Uh, the Mexican government of uh, General Huerta uh, arrested a number of U.S. servicemen in the so-called Tampico Affair, and Woodrow Wilson uh, sent troops in, which occupied Veracruz for the next six months. This song is written from the point of view of someone living in Veracruz at the time. And like the previous song, it's a very sad song. Hmm. Sounds like this. It's Warren Zevon in Rock School. Running late. Time for the second break here on Rock School. Uh, we're talking about history songs here in the in the show. Uh, we were given this list from Bill, and he was nice enough to give us uh, longer songs, at least in title. We can't play them on the show. They just eat up too much time. But here are some to check out if you're looking for more songs. Uh, Decemberists uh, did a song called When the War Came, and it uh, clocks in at over five minutes. What's that about? Uh, it's about Obviously, World War One. I. I was going to say it's a war, but... I'm Why? sorry, no, that's not true. It's it's about the Siege of Leningrad. I'm mixing it up with another song. Mm-hmm. The Siege of Leningrad, World War II. Okay. Um, Beg your pardon. Uh, the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil at 617 is also about a number of historical figures. And there's a song called Acadian Driftwood by the band, and that clock's in at almost seven minutes at 642. What's that about? It's a brilliant song. It's about very um, relevant to Louisiana. It's about the Acadians being driven from Nova Scotia and Maine down here to Louisiana. And it's uh, it has all the three vocalists singing on it. It's a stunning song, and I would, I would call Robbie Robertson's masterpiece. Um, moving along, along, we have Alex Harvey with Boston Tea Party, which is another seven, nearly eight-minute song. What's that about? Um, I think the Boston Tea Party. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. <laughs> I was going to take an educated guess. Yeah. yeah. Al Stewart, Roads to Moscow. Obviously, you know, something with Moscow, but what specifically? Yeah, this is about the uh, German invasion of Russia uh, in 1941, 1942, and uh, written from the perspective of uh, a German. Hmm. From a German? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Where are we going next? Hurricane. Uh, Bob Dylan, 833, about Reuben Carter, the boxer. Mm-hmm. We talked about it a while ago. American Pie, Don McLean, eight and a half minutes long. 
And that uh, great heavy metal band Iron Maiden had a lot of historical songs. One was Alexander the Great. Nearly nine minutes there. Isn't the lead singer of uh, of Iron Maiden uh, a history major? I'm almost positive he is. Is that Rob Halford? Bruce, Bruce Dickinson? Oh, I'm thinking Bruce that. Dickinson, yeah. I don't know about history major, but he's a world-class fencer. Is he really? <laughs> he really is. He really <laughs> is. There's a show right there. And to wrap it up, yeah, the history, yeah. Of, uh, the history of fencing. Uh, Neil Young, Cortez the Killer, the live version, clocks in at 1553. Cortez, tell us about Cortez. Well, Cortez was uh, a Spanish conquistador who uh, came into Mexico in 1519, uh, violated his orders, which had told him to uh, pull out, uh, went on and conquered uh, Tenochtitlan, uh, which is now Mexico City, uh, overthrew the government of Montezuma II. Um, and uh, this song, of course, is written uh, from the standpoint that Cortez is a pretty good, bad guy, which is true. Uh, you could also write a song about Montezuma, who was also a pretty bad guy. He had his uh, revenge. But, uh, <laughs> yes, he's, he continues yeah. to have his revenge <laughs> even today. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually going to say all that, but you went to him instead of I me. Did. I did. I <laughs> did. So there's some songs for you. Go on out and look for them. They're long, something we can't play on the radio, but uh, some for you to go and check out. Who listens to us? WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. Right, and across the pond is Radio Universidad Salamanca, Spain. Thanks for running the radio show. Back in a minute with more music. Can we do Sting? I'd love to play Sting. Can we play Sting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love sure. it. Back in a minute. Rock School. Coming out of the break, this is the one I asked for of the songs that you guys brought. Sting from the Dream of the Blue Turtles back in 85. It's his first solo album after leaving the police. This one's called Children's Crusade. It's a nice slow one. It plods along, but it seems to have an underlying message, and I didn't know it was a historical song. What are we talking about inside of this tune? Well, uh, I mean, the original Children's Crusade happened back in the 13th century, which was quite literally a crusade with a bunch of kids who were I guess they saw Jesus or one of their leaders did and figured they would then go and um, bring their faith to the Muslims or do something to the Muslims and it was a tragedy there was a lot of deaths and drownings and whatnot so but uh, what Sting was doing here was updating it a bit talking about some of the uh, atrocities in World War One for children and um, modern day some of the heroin addiction due to children in uh, London or in England. Absolutely. And one of the things I like about this song is how it, it blends those three things together uh, very nicely in a poetic sense. The original Children's Crusade, the, the deaths in Belgium and France, and then the people killing themselves, essentially shooting up uh, heroin. Who else could put together something like a crusade, a war, and a drug addiction and put them into a song? Only Sting. That's well, right. <laughs> just talking about it. I mean, a child, children, there's so many been children atrocities over the years. He's just kind of bringing that out here. And I mean, Sting was, I think he was being much more socially aware then. He had that great song about they dance alone, about the Chilean mothers who would dance in the street because all their that was their silent protest for all their children that would disappeared right. magically. I hope the Russians love their children too, which Absolutely. was about the arms race. Yeah, so great song. This is Sting, Children's Crusade, Rock School.
All right, last break here on Rock School as we are with our tutor historian, Bill Robison, and Dan McCarthy, our plasma physicist. Uh, we're wrapping up the second of a four-show run here talking about songs of history. Let me tell you a couple that we're not going to get to. Uh, OMD, Enola Gay, obviously about the bombings of Hiroshima. Right. Uh, or Hiroshima, however you wish <clears throat> to do it. Uh, what do we bring from Peter Gabriel? I saw he was on here as Abiko. well. Abiko. Oh, listen to that song if you haven't heard it. Stunning. Uh, PJ Harvey, The Color of the Earth. Yep. And also Randy Newman, Louisiana. All of those uh, were brought along, but just didn't get around to being played. My second favorite band, without a doubt, and uh, Chad was yelling at me because we're not going to play Steely Dan. You always play Steely Dan. Well, guess what? I'm going to play Steely Dan because we always play Steely Dan. This is The Caves of Altamira from one of my favorite Steely Dan albums, uh, 1978's The Royal Scam. Walter Becker, Donald Fagan. Okay, tell me about the Caves of Altamira. What is this? Well, the Caves of Altamira uh, are in northern Spain in in Cantabria, up close to the coast. And uh, they are the location of the first cave paintings, the first uh, Paleolithic cave paintings that were discovered in the 19th century. Uh, Originally discovered by a 12-year-old girl named Maria Sauchuelo, and she took her father, uh, Marcelina Sanz de Sauchuelo, back in to look at them. Uh, They made them public the following year. Uh, French archaeologists ridiculed them, said the whole thing was a fraud. It wasn't until 22 years later in 1902 that they were actually authenticated. Uh, since then, of course, uh, cave paintings have been discovered uh, all over Europe, uh, indicating that Paleolithic and Neolithic man uh, had artistic sensibilities, or as it comes out in the song, they heard the call and they wrote it on the wall. These particular paintings, uh, which probably everybody has seen, this is the one of the say, uh, what are they? The, the, the Paleolithic people hunting bison, basically, yeah. and uh, they're about fourteen to eighteen thousand years old. Uh, based on uh, other artifacts found in the caves. And the supposition, uh, up to this point at least, has been that they they probably involve the use of ritual magic, that uh, probably what the cavemen did was to draw what they were trying to achieve, that is a successful hunt to bring down bison and have a meat supply. Yes, sir. I just want to know, yeah, this is all very fascinating and everything, but why would Becker and Fagan decide to write a song about it? Did they just not have any other material going on at the time? <laughs> Did well, they, seriously, what inspired that them to write a song about of, cave paintings? They run out of losers and drug-addicted people to, to write about? Seriously. Well, they wrote a lot of songs with with vague allusions uh, to, to history, and I, I I think this is another one here. Uh, It also, you know, involves writing from the point of view of a modern boy who goes and hides out in the caves and is inspired by the art there. And that, of course, obviously fictitious. But I I think it's a way of, of, of connecting with the art. Okay. Yeah. What shocks me about that story is you said the French actually belittled somebody. They they put down the Spanish. The French never do that. It's no. it's difficult to fathom. I, I, I'm just maybe shocked. the only time in history that ever happened. Yes, exactly. Uh, I remember the French loving the Spanish and the English. Then again, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention yeah. in history in <laughs> high school. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, my name is Joe Burns. Bill Robinson. You are Dan McCarthy. And you are. I'm smarter because I've been sitting next <laughs> to a plasma physicist. Oh, God, you ever me. never going to live that down. You're only ever that easy. Two more to go. One on religion, one on science. Make sure you join us next week. What are we doing? Religion or science next week? Religion. 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 Fantastic. Classes dismissed.